0: Let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 14. Spend some time in the Word this morning. We've had a good morning of worship. Now let's let the Spirit speak to us. Throughout the morning we have really been reminded of the goodness of the Lord and that we can have full confidence in Him and there is nothing greater than experiencing His sufficiency in our lives, is there? There's nothing greater than seeing Him work. When we know God is at work, when we know God is meeting our need and providing for what we have to have, that is such an awesome thing. And it's so amazing and so wonderful to be in His presence and to watch Him break through problems and break through difficulties and break through situations uh, that we don't really have any answers for. Friday night, I was watching the simulcast of the True Women Conference that um, some of our ladies attended, and uh, I saw at the end of, of Pastor Simla's message hundreds of women coming forward, hundreds of women coming up to the altar and and laying out before the Lord uh, the need for Him to intervene in their children's lives to to break relationships that had been um, fractured and to restore them and to bring them back. Just as uh, our friend Kirsi Toledo has shared with us at the first tea and again on Friday night, and to To bring back those that have rebelled and strayed spiritually from Him. For you women that were there, I can only imagine the power of that room. I can only imagine what that was like to um, see that many women raising their hands and praying and calling on the Lord. But as I watched that from my kitchen, I I realized that the Lord is absolutely uh, able and ready to do that work. That's not just, well, we got caught up in emotion at the end of the service and we went forward and we, we hope God will work, but, but yeah, I don't know, I mean, maybe, maybe not. How many know that God can and will do that work? God will do that work. We call on Him, He works. It's inscrutable truth. It doesn't... I, I don't understand it. I don't understand why he would. He has no reason to. And yet he says, when you call, I'll answer. When you call, I'll work. So, knowing that that's what he does, and, and honestly, we can't really remind ourselves of that enough. It's an amazing truth. It stirs our faith. It it causes us to go to the throne of grace far more often. But but I don't know about you, there are mornings where I wake up and and... The, um, the feeling of hope and the feeling of confidence isn't there. I don't know if you experienced this, maybe experienced it this week, that that even before your eyes are open and the alarm goes off, or maybe you wake up before the alarm, you you feel kind of a heaviness and a burden, and you, you feel uh, kind of a, a little sense of dread, or maybe there's, there's some fear there, and you're just kind of, wondering, oh, Lord, I forgot about that. Sleep was so nice because I forgot about my problems. But when I woke up, Lord, how is this going to get better? How, how is this not only going to get better, but how am I going to experience any kind of personal and spiritual victory, some kind of brightness that breaks through the gray of my soul right now? That how How is that going to happen, Lord? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You, you relate to this at all? Experience this? It's common to all of us because of spiritual warfare. That's what the devil does. He tries to accuse and lie and discourage and defeat. He knows he can't defeat us, so he tries to drag us out as far as he can. But, but staying in that gray should not be a regular occurrence for a child of God. Someone that knows the power of God, uh, as they cry out, I need you, Lord, they, they shouldn't stay in that. Because as we saw at the table this morning, Christ has secured total victory for us. It's not like this is partial. It's not like God goes, Well, I took care of part of it, but you're on your own for the rest. Or I couldn't couldn't really do it. I couldn't accomplish it. I couldn't satisfy uh, your your need for salvation. Christ, Christ did as best as he could. Is that the song we just sang? Christ did the best that he could. But that wouldn't be very inspiring, would it? Christ is enough. He's enough. He did it all. He paid it all. There is complete deliverance and power over sin. He declares us to be overcomers through Him when just the opposite should be true. So even in the heart of the battle, even in the heart of discouragement, there should be an undeniable and and, and unassailable strength that fills our hearts, that, that gives us confidence that cannot be diminished. And that only comes from abiding in the presence of the Lord. I'm very confident that if you talk to any of the 12 women and four teenagers that went to Indianapolis this weekend from this church, that they would tell you that after being in the presence of the Lord for three days, they're much more encouraged and much more strengthened and much more spiritually empowered than they were before they went. And they're on fire and they're stirred up and they're ready to act and they've been filled with the word and they've spent time worshiping and being in the presence of other believers and being near the Lord and seeing him answer prayer and seeing him work in, in powerful ways. Just, just to get with thousands or hundreds of like-minded people, it, 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 just, it just is so good, isn't it, to revel in the goodness of God. I didn't have this yesterday. I didn't have the opportunity to come with hundreds of people and just revel in the goodness of God. I was working through the list, getting all the stuff done that I needed to get done. And, and, but there's an, there's an absence. When you come into the presence of the Lord and you're able to just, just, rev, just revel in his goodness and just sit in his presence and be reminded of his awesome strength and provision, that's unlike anything else. As I watched on the computer and I looked at the pictures and I talked to my wife and daughter each night, I got jealous. I don't know if any of the rest of you got jealous. I got jealous. I'm like, I want to be there. I want to be in the presence of the Lord like that. Because they met the Lord. Spending hours in His presence. And when you know what it's like to be in the presence of the Lord, you want to be there all the time. When you know what it's like to be in the presence of the Lord, you want to be there all the time. It's a little chorus I learned a few months ago that expresses that truth. It's very simple. It's four lines. It says, I want to be close to you. I want to be close to you. There's nothing in this world that compares to all you are. That's true, isn't it? That, that's, that's the reality. Being close to the Lord. Being in His presence. Trusting in His help. Being reminded of His love and his provision, it's so sweet and so wonderful and so powerful. Well, that's, that's a long intro into what this account about King Asa teaches us this morning. And, and it's here in Second Chronicles chapter 14, uh, just by way of historical background to just give us a little preparation. Because this is an actual history lesson, right? Everybody say, right. This is an actual history lesson. This is not a made-up story. King Asa actually lived thousands of years ago in the nation of Judah. So this is a historical lesson and a spiritual lesson. This is the time when Israel had just been divided. Ten tribes to the north that was called what? Ooh, oh, we got to go back to history class. Ten tribes to the north that was called Israel. Does that refresh your memory? Okay. Two tribes to the south that were called, you know, good. You made it up for yourself. You get 100 on the quiz. Ten tribes to the north, Israel. Two tribes to the south, Judah. This chapter, 2 Chronicles 14, is right after the split. The split was because Solomon had not stayed faithful to the Lord. He had every advantage. He built the temple. God blessed him. Solomon followed after women of other nations, had 1,000 women on call at any time. And because of that, his son Rehoboam then became very arrogant and, and kind of uh, careless with the nation. The nation split. Rehoboam in the south, Jeroboam in the north. And there was just kind of a constant conflict and a constant um, problem between the two. They were lousy kings. They disobeyed the Lord. After Rehoboam dies, his son Abijah becomes king. Abijah was David's great-grandson. And after Abijah died, his son Asa became king. So Asa was David's great-great-grandson. So it's still in the family. Now, before that happened, in the text we're going to read in a minute, chapter 13, uh, we'll look at chapter 14 in a second, but in chapter 13, uh, if you look back just a couple of paragraphs, there was a strong conflict between Israel and Judah. And Abijah, who is, still, uh, who is the new king of, of Judah, tries to appeal to Jeroboam, who's still the king of Israel, and he says, um, you, you know, you guys have some problems up there. You are worshiping golden calves as your gods. Of course, Israel never learned. Um, you're, you're pushing the priests out. And in contrast, I'm trying to lead our nation uh, in a way where we don't forsake the Lord. We're honoring the priests and we're offering the right sacrifices. So I, I want to warn you, Jeroboam, not because we're a stronger army or because we don't want to fight. I, I want to encourage you and implore you. And this is in verse 12 of chapter 13. Don't engage in this fight. Don't start a civil war with me. Because your fight is not against me, your fight against, is, is not against Judah, your fight is against the Lord, and you can't win that. Abijah shows some spiritual wisdom here. Don't take this on, Jeroboam. This is going to be a problem. You are going to be defeated. But Jeroboam ignores him, and they have a fight, and because Israel, uh, excuse me, because Judah seeking the Lord, the, the battle's very short. Israel loses. Now, that leads us up to chapter 14. You need some of that context uh, because uh, we're going to see what happens with Abijah's son. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. So, Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David, which is Jerusalem. And his son Asa became king in his place. The land was undisturbed for ten years during his days. Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God, for he removed the foreign altars and the high places, tore down the sacred pillars, cut down the ashram, commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities of Judah, because it was widespread, and the kingdom was undisturbed under him. He built fortified cities in Judah since the land was undisturbed. And there was no one at war with him during those years because the Lord had given him rest. For he said to Judah, let us build these cities, surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours. Look at the next phrase. Because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. Now Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, bearing large shields and spears, and 280,000 from Benjamin, which was the other tribe, bearing shields and wielding bows. And all of them were valiant warriors. Great. Everything's good. till we get to verse 9. Now Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, and he came to Merishah. So Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up in battle formation in the valley of Zephthah at Merisha. Now, there are four primary spiritual characteristics about Asa that the spirit establishes in the text. And we need to see them because there's a correlation that's going to come after that. So let's just... Go through them. If you write in your Bible, underline them or just jot them down on a piece of paper. Four spiritual characteristics. Number one, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. That's in verse 2. It says, second, that he removed the foreign altars and the high places. That's in verse 3. So he did what was right. He removed the foreign altars. Number three, he cut down the false gods. This is also in verse 3 and going into verse 4. And then it says that he commanded Judah to seek the Lord and obey God's word. Now, when you look at those four things that Asa did, what he established, what he declared, what he set as an example, then we see that not coincidentally, there were four results of his action, and these are listed in verses 5 and 6. Because he did what he did because he did what was right and removed the foreign altars, cut down the false gods, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord and obey. Because of that, there were four results. Number one, they were at peace. Number two, the nation was undisturbed. Number three, there was no war. And number four, God gave them rest. Now, don't miss this because the Spirit is showing us that there is an unmistakable correlation between our conviction and and the Lord's blessing. There's an unmistakable correlation between our conviction and the Lord's blessing. If we want to experience God's favor and His leading like never before, this would be the right place to start for us individually, for us as families, and for us as a congregation. Exactly what would the Lord do in our midst... If we got serious, and I don't mean just, just okay, I'll do better. I mean, we got very, very serious about eliminating anything in our lives that dishonored him or took precedent over him. What would he do? How would he respond to that? If we actually cut down the false gods of, of materialism and, and lust and self-indulgence And and misguided goals and priorities. And we actually fortified, because that's the word in the text, we fortified our relationship with him by being holy. We built ourselves up in the faith, just like they built walls around the cities of Judah. What if we cut down the false gods and we built ourselves up in the faith and fortified our holiness? How much would he bless that? What if we, uh, let's, let's really go out on a limb here. What if we actually commanded each other to seek the Lord and obey His word? Now you're thinking, uh, what, what kind of church is this? I just came in here to be encouraged this morning. Now you're telling me we've got to command each other. No, no hear, hear the heart behind that. This is not, oh man, I feel enough pressure already to, to live differently. I don't need somebody commanding me to do it. No, but seriously, what if... What if our exhortation and encouragement to each other this morning was, seek the Lord more and obey Him more fervently? I need somebody to tell me that. You have permission to come up to me and say, Paul, seek the Lord more. And I won't be upset. I, I need that. Seek the Lord more. Obey His word more Perfectly, more fervently. Listen, this is our calling as believers. And Asa says, we got to get serious about this. We've been monkey around ever since Solomon and Rehoboam and, and Abijah, my dad, started to do the right thing. But, but now I want to take it a step further. We are going to cut down any of these remaining altars that are in all the cities. And we're going to tear down the Asherah poles, which was kind of a, a sexual worship place. And we're going we're to get very serious. And you know what? Here's a decree from the throne. Nation, seek the Lord. Nation, obey his word. See, Asa knew about the spiritual correlation. And in verse 7, he says, the land is still ours. Look back at it. Because we have sought the Lord. So many times, I think we shortchange ourselves from experiencing what God really wants to do. Because we don't seek him enough. And We kind of give nice little spiritual lip service to to the power of prayer, but we're not really in on the concept that the Lord gives rest and fulfillment when we call on Him. That's not some form of prosperity theology. It's just the simple spiritual principle that He responds when we seek. And if you want to dismiss that, that's between you and the Lord, but I need to honestly ask you, have you really tried it? Have you really tried it? See, so often what gets in the way of us doing this is the details. They can be kind of pesky, can't they? Facts, facts try to get in the way and take precedent over what the Lord can do. So look back at verse 8 for a second. Let's, let's deal with the facts. Asa has an army of 580,000 men from two tribes. And it says that all of them, spirit doesn't use hyperbole, this is the truth. All of them were valiant warriors. Advantage Judah, right? 580,000 men in his army. And they're all awesome. Well, nope. The problem is the Ethiopians have an army of a million. This is going to be a serious battle. Demographically, this would be like the city of San Jose taking on the city of Milwaukee in a fight. I looked it up. I want to see what the demographics were. So imagine this afternoon if all the citizens of San Jose, California lined up on the outskirt of Milwaukee in full battle gear ready to do Re- ready, ready to have a war. What would that look like? That would make the news, right? Today, one million people from California showed up on Milwaukee. And they're surrounding the city ready to do battle. Imagine this picture. A million people against 580,000 people. What is Asa going to do? How is he going to react to this? Look at verse 10 because it's the key moment. Let's deal with the facts. He's outnumbered. And that has to be discouraging, especially because there's been constant peace. For a full decade, his soldiers have had absolutely no battle experience. He's never led a war. He just became king 10 years ago. He's never had a war. There's been no conflict. And now he's got a million angry Ethiopians waiting to overthrow his nation. So what's he feeling? What would you do in that situation? You're the king of these two tribes, and you know that you're doing right in the sight of the Lord, and God's honoring that, and God's given you peace, and it's been wonderful, and you've torn down the altars, and you've got the nation on track spiritually. And then one day, a million people show up wanting to kill you. Do you feel a little bit insecure? Would you start to question your, your leadership and say, I'm kind of, kind of uncertain about what to do next? If Asa really wanted to get self-focused, he might even become angry with the Lord. Why didn't you keep us in peace? Look, I've done everything right. Why are you not, uh, why, wh- why are you allowing this? Wh- why uh, have, you, have you changed what's going on? He might even be tempted to, to use a deceptive strategy like Jerobo- Jeroboam had had. And it didn't work for him, but Asa's got to be smarter than Jeroboam. Maybe he becomes overconfident like underdogs sometimes do. He becomes very brash and thinks, I can take care of this. This isn't a problem. There's going to be a wide range of thoughts and emotions going on in his mind. But whatever he's feeling, it doesn't change the fact that there are a million Ethiopians in battle formation and Ace's army is half that size. Life feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? You wake up in the morning and you feel under assault and overwhelmed. You, you just don't know what to do. And it's all too easy in those times to lose your joy. What is it that robs us of our joy? What will rob us of our joy this week? Circumstances? Wondering what could happen? Assuming the worst? The realization that, that we fail? The realization that that we aren't in control, that's actually a good realization because it gives us the perspective that we aren't in control and that we need the Lord, just like the choir sang. I need you. I need you beside me. I need you to guide me. Listen, it's one of the greatest prayers that we can pray. Lord, I need you because we're so self-sufficient in our human nature. So as we come to that point where we feel under assault and overwhelmed, what do we do? Listen, we need to remind ourselves of a great truth. We know the author of life. We know the Savior of our soul. We know the Lamb that has overcome sin and death and hell. And we have His Holy Spirit who gives us power in dwelling in us. And listen, when you get to that realization, it restores your joy in a heartbeat. But are we living in that security? What do we actually do when the battle's in our face? What, what, what is our innate response? How, how do we react instinctively? Our answer to that question reveals a lot about our faith and about our spiritual maturity. So what's our default? What, what, what do we do? What's typical? ace has got a serious problem. He's got a million people. Against him, 600,000, give or take 20 on his side. The nation has been at peace. They don't have experience with war. Everything should be fine. Everything's not fine. What does he do now? And, And look at verse 10 because that is where it really gets down to it. It says that Asa, sorry, verse 11. Asa gets into the presence of the Lord and he cries out to him. The battle is on. The odds are highly against him. The enemy is strong and determined. But listen to the truth of what he believes. Start in verse 11. Then Asa called to the Lord his God. Notice the personal pronoun there. That's not accidental. Asa called to the Lord his God. And he said, Lord, there's no one beside you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, Lord, our God, for we trust in you. And in your name have come against this multitude. O Lord, you're our God. Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord, verse 12, routed the Ethiopians before Asim, before Judah. And the Ethiopians fled. Asan, all the people who were with him, pursued them as far as Gerar. And so many Ethiopians fell that they could not recover. For they were shattered before the Lord and before his armies. And they carried away very much plunder. They destroyed all the cities around Gerar. For the dread of the Lord had fallen upon them, and they had spoiled all the cities, for there was much plunder in them. It's interesting when you look at verse 11 that there is no equivocation, there is no doubt in his prayer. There's only complete confidence. It's, It's one thing to pray with some hope. It's another to pray with absolute unwavering assurance. So look at the verbs here, not to be too technical, but every verb in verse 11 is definitive and sure. He's not saying, Lord, please do something. I don't know what, but do something. Or, or we hope, Lord, that you'll consider thinking about hopefully trying to maybe help us in some way. And uh, That's not the prayer. Lord, there's no one like you that can help us. There's nobody else that can help us. And Lord, we're helpless. But we know you're going to work. And we fully trust in you. Honest assessment. Just you and the Lord this morning. How often do you pray like that? He knows my heart and he knows your heart. Does he see that level of confidence on an everyday basis? Remember, this situation is not to Ace's advantage in any way. There's, there's no comfort level, for all intents and purposes, he is in serious, serious trouble. And at this point, at verse 10, it's hard to imagine any scenario in which that that they could... Be pursuing the Ethiopians, to quote the text, as far as Gerar and that so many Ethiopians will fall that they can't recover and they'll be shattered. It's hard to imagine as of verse 10 that that's going to be the outcome, but that's exactly what happens. Now translate it to your spiritual life. It's hard to imagine that when the enemy comes this week and he tempts you and he tempts me and he throws spiritual warfare at us and he a- discourages us and lies to us and accuses us and, and tries to undermine our marriages and undermine our families and, 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 and try to, to dissuade us from trusting in the Lord in any way. It, it, it's hard in our humanity to imagine that if we resist the devil that he'll actually run away. And yet that's what the Bible says. And there's so much power that has been given to us because of the Holy Spirit that not only will the devil run, but when we trust in the Lord who has broken the bondage of sin in our lives, God says, I can shatter the enemy. I can shatter the enemy. So where does it begin? Let's try to draw it to a close. There are two admissions we have to make to the Lord that are in verse 11. Let's do these really quick. First of all, we have to declare the singular authority of the Lord. In declaring the singular authority of the Lord, we have to deny our own ability, our own sufficiency, and our own right to claim that we have power. If God is the absolute authority, that eliminates me from being in the equation and the contest of being the absolute authority. If God's the absolute authority, I'm nothing. If I'm something and think I'm the authority, then I've said to God, you're not the authority. Because there can't be two gods. Either he's God or he's not. So if he's God, I'm not. So we have to declare the absolute authority of the Lord. Look at what Asa says. Only you, Lord. There's no one like you. Nobody else can help. What do we need to resist in our own lives to declare what we know is true? What what is it about our ego? What is it about our pride that will not completely open up our hearts to praise God in this way? Is it sin? Is it we still want to be in control? What, What is it? Because we as believers who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ that we just celebrated at the table, we as believers need to be bold and passionate and fervent about declaring His greatness. We still have the freedom to worship the Lord in public, unlike many believers around the world. This morning, you ladies heard about Pastor Saheed from his wife at the conference. He he's witnessing so much in jail that they beat him and transferred into a different jail cell. And he wrote a letter to his family. This is the pastor that's arisen uh, 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 um, in in uh, prison in was it Iraq or Iran? I can't remember Iraq. Iran, sorry, thank you. He's a pastor who's in Iran. He's in prison. The government won't let him out. He wrote to his wife and he said, God's still good. This is worth it. How is it he can sit in a jail cell in Iran, beaten and ripped apart, and say, praise the Lord. But we come to a beautiful building with great friends and awesome praise music and more blessing than 99% of the world. And by the way, we have salvation through Christ. But, But our worship's hesitant. And our worship's restrained. And we don't want to say, only you, Lord. Only you. Not me. Not me. Come on, are you kidding? Not me. Only you. Only you can help. And after we declare the single authority, Lord, look at the second thing. This may be the key why we don't worship that way. We have to admit we have no strength. Asa says, we don't have anything They're powerful, and we have no strength, but the fact that the odds are against him doesn't deter him. It just makes him more eager to seek the Lord's help. He's so confident that when we call on the Lord, that he helps those who call on him, and he knows, God, you're powerful, and you're sufficient. So, Lord, here's the thing. We got half the men. We're not experienced. We haven't fought in a decade. And they want to take us. But Lord, even though we have no strength, you have all the strength. So we're just going to trust in you. I'm sure that when many of the women came to Indianapolis on Thursday, they knew that life was challenging and that, that they probably had some burdens on them. And they may have even anticipated the Lord's going to deal with me this week. And, and maybe, ladies, you went into it thinking, well, God gotta work. But I'm reasonably certain. Because I've been in a lot of conferences. That most of them didn't know just how strongly and how directly the Lord was going to confront them for their sin and their lack of trust. And they also didn't realize just how deep God's forgiveness is. And just how full His provision is. And just how ready He is to help us when we call. Listen, He is the breakthrough God. He is the breakthrough God. Whatever we're dealing with, whatever seems insurmountable, whatever seems unfair, whatever seems overwhelming, He can help us because nothing is too hard for Him. Look back at verse 12. Let's conclude. I love this verse. It says that when the Lord took up the battle... The Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Look at those words. The Lord routed them, and they fled. When God got involved, it wasn't a fair fight. A million versus 600,000, that's a a decent little battle. Maybe the underdogs got a chance. But once the Lord got involved, uh, it was over. And not only did he win for his people, but the enemy ran away. The problem left. That's how the Lord works when we call on him in faith and we listen for his response. The Ethiopians had a hundred percent advantage. But they were shattered before the Lord and his army. And the people of Judah then understood how God works. And it says in verse 14, the dread of the Lord fell upon them. The word actually means to be so in awe that you're terrified. When was the last time you were so in awe of the Lord that you were terrified? Lord, how can it be that you who are holy accepts me who is full of sin? How can it be that you give me your spirit to indwell this lousy body and this corrupt soul that you've redeemed? How can it be that when I call you answer? How can that be? They're in awe. What an amazing thing God has done. It says finally, chapter fifteen, verse one, as they're. Enjoying all this, Spirit of God came on Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa. And he said to him, listen to me, Asa. Listen to me, Asa. That's the title of our series. Listen, listen, Asa. All Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you when you're with him. If you seek him, he'll let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Verse 7, be strong, do not lose courage, for there is reward for your work. Spirit of the Lord comes on Azariah, and he says, there's a simple equation I want to leave you with, Asa. The Lord's with you when you seek him, and when you seek him, he'll be found. Conversely, if you forsake him, the word means abandoned. If you forsake him, he'll forsake you. Now be strong and be of good courage, for there's reward in your work.